would turn to Colossians chapter 3. While you're turning there, I, I couldn't help but notice the irony of what he said about the lack of Christian churches in Germany because the German reformer Martin Luther actually wrote that last hymn about 500 years ago where the heart of the Reformation took place, but you wouldn't know by looking at Germany or Europe today. That's another thing we don't need to take for granted. Just because God has certainly done a great work in the U.S., it doesn't mean that He owes it to us or that He has to continue doing so. Um, Also, I do want to mention too, uh, Pastor Stonehouse, do remember them as they travel. They're going to be gone until mid-June and uh, traveling and preaching and visiting family and uh, he, of course, served in the military as well, served in Korea, so I didn't want him to go unmentioned. And uh, last time we uh, recognized those that have served, i never forget what he said. He said, yeah, I served in Korea, and he said, I would serve again right now if I had to. And he was serious as a heart attack when he said it. And my mind had about three thought processes that happened just like that. The first one was, is, man, he's in his mid-70s. The second one was, wait. He's dead serious. And the third was, man, I feel sorry for the other guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, Colossians chapter 3. I'm not preaching a themed message this morning. Uh, we're going to stay in our study Colossians, but the irony is, with me preaching about the submission of wives, it could very well start a war and there could be some casualties. So, <laughs> I guess we're right on target, you know. Um, before we get to that, though, just by way of review, because it's so important, and I, and I hope by me, not just in the immediate text where we're at, but how, how does this connect to the broader theme of what is being said? We can't separate the two. And in our context here, Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul as one of the prison epistles in response to his friend Epaphras who had started this church at Colossae. And although Colossae was a great church, they were very doctrinally sound, they were very loving, there was so much apostasy in the city of Colossae that Epaphras was concerned that that was going to leak into the church, that the culture was going to have a negative impact upon the church. And the two specific things as far as heresy goes that Paul dealt with was legalism and mysticism in which both add to the gospel. Legalism adds works to the gospel of grace. You have to do something in order to earn your salvation or to keep it. But then mysticism adds to the gospel in the sense of uh, you're receiving messages from God that go above and beyond and over that which what God has revealed about Himself in Scripture. I don't care what experience you've had, If it contradicts the clear revelation of God in Scripture, it's false and it needs to be ignored. We don't ever need to measure the Word of God by our experiences. We need to measure our experiences by the Word of God. And you say, but Brother Brandon, I know what I experienced. It was as real as the chair that I'm sitting in. I wouldn't argue with you. But how can you convince me or yourself that it wasn't demonic in nature? You can't. That's why you have to have an objective standard by which to bet them by. This is it. So we need to measure our experiences by the Word of God and not the other way around. And Paul's great foundation for this standing against this heresy, the first two chapters, 
He reminds us of who we are in Christ. He reminds us of the gospel of Christ. And most importantly and most directly, He deals with who Christ is. He is God. He is the Creator. Uh, He is the preeminent one. Uh, But then by the time you get to chapter 3, He shifts gears, and this is why the context is so important. And what we're talking about today cannot be separated from this context. That is the resurrected life in Christ. This chapter 3 and verse 1, this great transitional verse. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He's saying, you love Christ, you're saved, prove it. And if you're going to live the the resurrected life, there's going to be some things that have to die. He talked about the thought life and sexual temptation and our speech. But there's going to be some things that have to be in our life. Humility and patience and forbearing one another. Even as Christ uh, has forgiven us and been forbearing toward us uh, and full of charity and all these things we've talked about. But then when we get to chapter 18, we're going to see that uh, excuse me, not chapter 18, verse 18. Like, what Bible is he reading? But uh, in, in verse 18, down through verse 25, he begins to talk about how the resurrected life affects our family relationships. And so we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. And he begins with the wives. And it's not because they need the most help. Amen? I want to point that out. Uh, but let's go ahead and read the text and then we'll get into our message this morning, but uh, chapter 3 in Colossians, verse 18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to gather together with the saints and Lord be able to sing these wonderful songs. We're all thankful that we live in a country that allows us to do this. And Lord, we're thankful for the sacrifices made over the years and really over the centuries that made that possible. Lord, I pray that you would just bless our time together. Fill me with your Holy Spirit into me as sin and self. If there's someone lost today, I pray that they would be saved. God, if there's somebody struggling, uh, maybe with their joy or they're in the middle of a trial or God, they're fighting against sin or maybe they're struggling with these very things within their own marriage relationship, or maybe as, even as a single Christian, maybe there's some submission issues in their lives, even as it comes to uh, our submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, would you break us today so that you can make us and mold us into your image? And we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. Now I know that when we talk about the word submission, that's become a cuss word in our society. But when we begin to get specific and we talk about the submission of wives to their husbands, it just goes up to another level. And there's a lot of women that get a bad taste in their mouth. And listen, I understand it. Um, It's not always the woman's fault. Certainly not 100% of the time. And um, 
You know, I know that there's hurtful situations. I know there's been abusive marriages. I know there's been painful divorces. And so, uh, please just give me a chance. Don't shut me off this morning. Uh, Because if you were here last week, I was probably on the men even harder than I was the women. And uh, don't listen, y'all just wait. I'm going to get on the men next week. And ladies, you invite your co-workers, invite your, <laughs> invite your neighbors. Invite, it's going to be a good time in the Lord. But um, listen, we don't ever have to be afraid of the commands of God. I hope you realize that. And if we come to a place that troubles us, I find that it's usually for one of only three reasons. Uh, number one, our heart's not right, and we need to conform to what God has said or because we have misunderstood it, and our misunderstanding has painted God uh, in a negative light, uh, or the fact that we just plain, oh, just misinterpret it. Um, but we don't have to be afraid of what the Bible says this morning. And as I mentioned last week, I'll lay this foundation, and we'll get to what we're talking about today. But, uh, you know, we have, I think the biggest misunderstanding with this doctrine of submission, especially as it pertains to wives and in reference to their husbands, is that we have confused compliance with submission. And what they hear is compliance. I've got to get my wife to comply with what I say. And that is, that's just two totally different things. Um, now understand, have a problem complying, but you can have compliance without submission. And as I mentioned last week, armed robbers get compliance. When they stick that gun in somebody's face and says, give me all your money, that's compliance. That's what bullies do. That is not biblical submission. And as I mentioned last week, I believe that at least, it is at least 50% of the husband's responsibility to get not just the compliance, but the submission of his wife. Submission is a joyful thing. It's an attitude of, I love and trust this person, and I don't have a problem listening to what they have to say. Uh, Submission is what Christ did to the will of God the Father. Uh, God the Father didn't have to twist His ear and make Him get on that cross. He willingly submitted to Him because He loves Him and He trusts Him, and He knows that He had an eternal purpose. Um, So submission is willingly given. This is really important too. I know that there are husbands out there I know because their wives have told me, and I'm not even talking about necessarily in here, that if, you know, when they can't get their wives to agree with them, they like to pull out the trump card and go to verses like this and say, hey, God says right here, you're supposed to submit to my authority. Let me, t- let me tell you why that's so wrong. And ladies, if this ever happens, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the same verse or the verses because they're always together. Now, now, how crazy would this be if... Uh, somebody put a gun to the head of another person and said, hey, you got to love me. How much sense does that make? Now, they might do some things that appear loving, but love is something within somebody's heart. You can't stick a gun to somebody's head and make them love you. That's why Christians, we're not like Muslims, we don't, we don't put a gun to somebody's head and command them that they convert to Christianity. Because we understand we might get their outward compliance, but it's only God that can change the heart. We're going much deeper than compliance. And so, just as crazy as it would be, 
for somebody to put a gun to somebody else and say, hey, you have to love me. It's the same way when somebody uh, gets the Bible and says, hey, you have to submit to me. Submission is a hard issue. What you're saying is you're supposed to comply with me. That's not what the Bible is saying. And so we, we got to get away from that idea. And as I mentioned to the men last week, if your wife has a problem submitting to your uh, spiritual authority that God's given you, why is that? Well, we've asked that question with the men, but we need to focus on it from a lady's perspective here uh, for a little bit. Understanding that submission is a loving attitude and response and not the unquestioned obedience of a slave. Men ought to aim much higher than that. Submission is something that must be given on the lady's side, but it must be earned on the man's side. It's not something that be, can be demanded. And this is why this is, submission is such a great thing for both parties because, you know, men like to conquer stuff. I mean, we like to go out and get that buck, and then it's on to the next thing. We like to catch that big fish or get that uh, pay raise or get that certain career uh, job or whatever the case may be. And then once we kind of conquer it, we have a habit of kind of just kind of moving on to the next thing and setting those things on cruise control. I didn't get a single amen, and I know that's right where I need to be. <laughs> but men, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing with our wife. I'm talking about when we first saw them, we couldn't even breathe. We said, we've got to get their number. We've got to, you know, we've got to get them to notice us somehow. And we, we conquer it. But then after the vows and the I do's, it's kind of like, okay, I can... I can set this on cruise control and, and I can kind of pursue something else because that's in its safe place. But when it comes to submission, that can't happen. Because if you stop being the godly, loving husband you're supposed to be, guess what? That submission ain't going to be in that safe place. And so it's kind of a, a great barometer for where you are with your wife. Now I understand it's not, look, the women are commanded to give the submission, but the men are required to earn it from their wives. That's why that, that love from the husband is intertwined with that submission from the wife. But I mentioned last week that we were going to talk about the power of a submissive wife. You say the power and submission, that sounds like an oxymoron, but I promise you it's true. And we're going to see it straight from the Scripture this morning. And so the, the question that I, I really want to deal with is how is a woman's willful submission to her husband a powerful thing? How is that empowering? And you know that I love expository preaching. We're going to do that this morning. But we're going to have a, a, a topical flavor in the sense that we're going to go to different verses of Scripture to see these principles. This is a great topic that I think we need to spend a little bit more time on. There's so much confusion on. And so we're going to go a few places for the few points that I have. But the, the first way that a wife's submission to her husband is powerful is because of the power of protection. The, the power of protection. Let's go to, let's go to Numbers 30. Let, keep your place. Let's go to Numbers 30. In the Old Testament, I'll give you a minute to get there. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question. In... In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, even though it was Eve who was tempted first, she ate first, and then she gave to her husband and he gave in, even though that was the order of events, whenever God came looking for them, who did He look for specifically? 
He didn't say, Eve, where are you at, woman? He said, Adam, where art thou? Or Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where he was at. He wanted Adam to know where he was at, and that was ashamed and running from the presence of God. So even though Eve was the instigator, God came after Adam. That's because he was the spiritual head of the home. He was the the priest of the home. Now understand, uh, this is not removing a woman's personal responsibility for her sin. Eve obviously uh, had to be dealt with. There was some definite uh, discipline there, uh, punishment there. We saw that, and by the way, I do want to reiterate, we talked about a husband's responsibility to gain submission, but... It's a wife's responsibility to give submission. We talked about where the feminist movement came from. It goes all the way back to the garden, to Genesis 3.16, when God told Eve that He would add uh, pain and childbearing, but also He said, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. It doesn't mean that the woman would desire her husband. Like I said, hopefully that was true even before the fall. But what it meant was is that there was going to be a constant friction and a constant desire for the woman to flip the script and to, her desire was to be in the place of her husband, but that he would rule over her. And so we see that, we see that friction today, don't we? Um, but in Numbers 30, I want you to see something very important. For the sake of time, I won't read the whole thing, but you could if you wanted to. I'll begin in verse 3. And listen, I understand that we are not under Old Testament law. I get that. Certainly not for salvation, and really even for sanctification, especially as it pertains to the Jews. But the law still communicates the heart and character of God. The reason that thou shalt not commit adultery is because... uh, The reason it's still in there is because God is not an adulterer. All right? We still have moral law, and we still understand the heart of God through these things. Look at what it says here in in Numbers chapter 30 and verse 3. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord, and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, and her father hear her vow, and her bond wherewith she had bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth, not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. And if she had at all an husband, when she vowed or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips wherewith she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. And it goes on to repeat basically these same things, but it says uh, that, uh, let's let's go ahead and read uh, verse 12. But if her husband hath utterly made them, talking about her vows, void on the day he heard them, then whatsoever proceedeth out of her lips concerning her vows, or concerning the bond of her soul, shall not stand. Her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her. And so, uh, Idian goes on in verse 15, even stronger language. If he shall in any way make them void, 
after that he heard them, then he shall bear her iniquity. Do you see that protection there? One of the hardest things that I have had to deal with as a pastor, and no doubt any time I preach a sermon like this, there's always those questions from the pew about the what-if scenarios. And I don't believe we're talking about the husband giving a gun to the wife and saying, hey, I got a hit, I want to get out on somebody, go take care of it. Or, hey, I want you to go rob a bank, we need to pay the bills. Or, I, I, don't, I, I'm not, I don't think that's what God is talking about. But listen, in all my years of pastoring, I've never run into a scenario like that. But what I have dealt with, in fact, I've got a specific one that comes to my mind. And uh, years ago, this was back when I was at Little Sandy, um, there was a lady in our church, man, just a sweet lady, just loves the Lord, very faithful, but her husband was, was and is an avowed atheist. And he wants nothing to do with church, don't want to hear about God, nothing. And this is a, a story for another day. In fact, I'll be glad to tell you after service. I don't want to spend all the time going into details. But I actually got that man to come to church because it just so happened I ran into him at the gun range in the National Forest. And he's a big, he's an ex-military guy, big gun fanatic. And uh, I told him that it, I threw a $100 bill down. And I said if he would choose whatever weapon he wanted to shoot, we'd shoot. And if I won, he would go to church. And i just tell you how that worked out. He came to church. But anyway, that, that was a God thing. But ask me about that, and I'll give you all the details of it. But anyway, uh, she ran into some friction. And, man, she was just torn up. And I really do sympathize for women in this type of position. You know, she wanted so badly to give at least 10% of their income to the Lord, just like so many of you do, and you go above and beyond that. But that's what she had wanted to do. And she was just so torn up about it because she felt like on one end, well, God wants me to do this, and I don't want to disobey God. And, but, you know, here my husband, he's not even a Christian. He's not a believer. And he doesn't want, it, he doesn't want to give one cent to the Lord or His work or to the church or anything else. And so she's like, I- I'm wrong if I do this and I'm wrong if I do that. What do I do? And she's just so torn. And I said, well, here's the solution. And I turned right to this text in Numbers 30. And I said, you don't need to give a dime to this church. You don't need to give a cent to the Lord if your husband says don't do that. Because the Bible says right here that those vows are void. And that's going to be on him. That's not on you, it's on Him. Now, I wonder how many, wonder how many Baptist pastors would say, don't give. But in that situation, that's the biblical model, that we have the answer right here. It's clear what God would have her do in that situation, and it's on Him. Just like God didn't come to Eve, He came to Adam. He's going to bear And you could just see that the, weight, the visible weight lifted off her shoulder. She didn't have to worry about that. She wasn't disobeying God. She wasn't uh, sinning against God. And so there's power in that protection. Do you see that? And quite honestly, in that situation, I think by going against her husband, she would have been going against God. I don't think that's a good testimony either. I, I just don't. Not in, not in the friction of that certain situation. So there is power in the protection of God. Uh, And with great power comes great responsibility. And and when a wife is submissive to her husband, she places the responsibility on him. There's power in that. Okay, 
I'll just leave that between you and the Lord. Leave that with your husband. That's, that, there's power in that. Um, when it comes to a disagreement, especially as it pertains to spiritual matters, uh, wives, just tell your husbands, okay, big boy, that's between you and God. You going to say it like that? A submissive wife has the power of that protection. Aren't you glad that God is an understanding God? But then secondly, I've got to move on, the power of protection. But secondly, why is it powerful uh, for a wife to be submissive to her husband? Well, there's the power of persuasion. Number two, the power of persuasion. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, uh, Derek was here just recently. But it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, likewise, and look, when you see a, a transitional word like that, it's pointing back to something else. And in this case, it's talking about Jesus Christ at the end of 1 Peter chapter 2, when He submitted even unto the death of the cross. And it says, likewise, just as Christ is submitted uh, to God the Father, and certainly there's equality there, uh, likewise, you wives, be in subjection. Now, I want you to understand this very important. The same Greek verb is used for both submission and subjection. It is the same thing. Uh, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, <clears throat> aspect of a person's life. And it says that, that by her conversation, uh, that the husband might be one. And so there's such a great power of influence upon a godly, submissive wife uh, to the husbands. And. You know, this is not a blanket guarantee that a lost husband will come to Christ. I don't want to make that blanket statement. But what it does mean, it's a clear statement of power that a submissive Christian wife has in the life of her lost husband. And if he does come to Christ, she is going to be instrumental in making that happen through her example. Now, notice in verse 2, this is so important. I, man, I hope we get this. Verse 2, it says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. You see where your power comes from, ladies, as it pertains to your husband? It's, it's not in what you say. It's in the way that you live your life. The power comes when he beholds, when he sees the way that you live your life. Now... Um, I want to say, too, obviously, words do matter. Opinions do matter. But that is not where the number one uh, place of power comes from. The power... Now, listen, 
I'm about to say some things that we, we, we might have a Memorial Day. But just bear with me here because you're going to know what I'm saying. It's true you say, oh, me or amen or whatever else. Uh, husbands, you might want to put your elbows in so there's no accidental contact here. But I have found it to be the case that if a woman is just, she is determined to have her way, there's no submission there, there is a tendency uh, to go the route of manipulation and things like that, or maybe spitefulness, or maybe <coughs> nagging. Um, um, excuse me, ma'am. But the reason I say that is because it's just like what Genesis 3 said about the desire being to thy husband. And listen, even as a Christian, it's something we all have to deal with, male, female, husband, wife, children. If we're Christians, we have to learn to submit to God. And I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life where even being a Christian, I wanted to be in control of every circumstance in my life. It's because I didn't trust God like I needed to. And even in that situation, when we feel like we don't have control, there's things that we want to do to try to be in control. I know that's never happened to y'all, okay? But it's happened to me. And sometimes when we feel like we don't have any control, it seems very difficult to give what little control we have to God. But that's what we have to do even in this situation because the power is not in a woman's manipulation or spitefulness or preaching or what. It's, it comes through her submissive example to Christ. And a woman who thinks that these other things are where her power comes from, you're causing more harm than good. Uh, I want to give you a few verses here. Now, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 9. It says, It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman and in a white house. Proverbs 21, verse 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Proverbs 27, verse 15. A continual dropping... In a very rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. This is what God said. And by the way, in these verses that I just read, and there are several others like them, but in these verses that I just read, if you'll notice, there's no stipulation in these verses that say, unless she has a noble cause. Unless she has a cause that she thinks she's right about or she thinks is worth fighting for. It doesn't say... It's better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house unless she's right or unless she has a good cause or there's no stipulation here. And when a man sees his wife joyfully submitting to Christ and as a result of that submission to Christ, she loves and respects him, even if he doesn't deserve it, that's when it becomes powerful because it, she, it, it puts shame upon him. Now think about this. Man, this is so important here. We've got to get this. Now the question often comes up, and again, please understand, I'm not talking about abusive situations. I'm not talking about being a punching bag. I'm not, we're not talking about those things. We're talking about in the normal course of things. Um, you know, at what point does your husband not deserve your submission? And the reason I ask that question, we could turn it back around because we're going to deal with men sacrificially, uh, sacrificially loving their wives next week. Uh, men, at what point 
does your wife not deserve your love? Are we, are we going to start loving now because of the, what we deserve? What if God did us that way? At what point were we worthy for Jesus to go to the cross and die for us? And so, you know, men, if you're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church, that's going to require that you love her at all times, and sometimes that means loving her when she's not being very loving. I mean, ladies, I know y'all are just lovable all the time. You never lose your temper. You never get upset. Uh, but I'm just, I've just got to say these things because they're in the Bible, okay? <laughs> but, but seriously, you, it requires that you love your wife even at times when she's unlovable. And ladies, you know what that means on the flip side? Sometimes you're going to have to submit to your husband even when he doesn't deserve it even when he's an idiot head, even when he's a doofus, even when you know that he's dead wrong. But I tell you what it will do. If you make that thing between him and God and he falls flat on his face, there's some humble pie coming up for dessert. And next time, he may pray a little bit harder, he may listen to you a little bit more, but that correction's got to come from God. That's the difference. And so... A, a submission, a, a, excuse me, a, a submissive Christian wife is like a constant thermostat that lets her husband know that he isn't what he's supposed to be. Not by what you say, but how you live. And, you know, it's kind of like this. If you, let, let's say it's in the heat of summertime and, you know, you set your thermostat to 72 degrees and you you leave for a while, and, and when you leave, you know, you hear it running, and you come back, even though you hear it running, it's 85 degrees in the house. Well, you know something's wrong. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. I set it on 72, and it's, it's hot. Well, then you go to the thermostat and see, well, yeah, I've got it set on 72, but it's 85. That thermostat is an undeniable proof that something's wrong with that A.C., and that, that wife living for Christ and being that constant submissive example, that is a constant detailed reminder that he is not right and there's something wrong in his heart. Um, I'll say this too, if you only show submission and respect to your husband when he feels like he, uh, he deserves it or when you feel like he deserves it, then you have taken Christ out of the equation. There's no power in that. But when, as a result of your submission and love for Christ, you show submission and respect for Him, you make Christ your house guest. And when He sees that, He knows that your source of love is coming from another source besides Him. He knows He doesn't deserve it. You're pulling from a, another source, a, a supernatural source. And that submission to Christ and your husband will not go unnoticed. Even if you think that it's not getting through, even if you think he's not paying attention, even if it's been years and you haven't seen a major change, I promise you, it is not in vain. There is power in the life of a submissive Christian wife. And by the way, if this is true for a lost husband, imagine how much power and influence it has if your husband is saved. And I can say this without any hesitation at all, and I'll move on to my last point and we'll be done. I saw this in first person last night. 
uh, th- last night, really this whole week, but especially yesterday, I would put it in the top five worst days I've ever seen Leah have. The weather's messed her up. Um, you know, she's having fever every day. And, you know, she has fever all the time now anyway, but I don't know that she doesn't have something on top of her normal issues. I mean, she was running about 102. Um, I mean, just sick. Head feels like it's about to explode. I mean, just horrible. And last night, we're laying in bed, and, and I've gotten her one of those ice hats that goes all the way around your head, and she's got it pulled down. I mean, she's just miserable. And I just started to pray for her. And when I got done, she started to pray. And before I knew it, I was no longer praying. I was spectating. I was just watching her. And she just begged God. She said, Lord, I I just want to be faithful. I just want to live for you. And I don't think anybody's seeing this, but Lord, if you see it, I just want to please you, but you're going to have to hold my hand, Lord. And I, I was just watching that. I've got a short list of things. I mean, if you think about it, everything in this world is designed to make us serve the flesh and sin and not... But I've got a short list of things that I'm talking about just really get me fired up and make me want to just be more like Christ and serve Him more. And watching my wife pray like that is right up there at the top. Makes me feel like I'm not the Christian. As a pastor and a Christian of many years, it makes me feel like I can do a whole lot better. I ain't, I ain't there yet. I'm not doing that yet. And she never even saw me looking at her. I didn't want her to see but I thought to myself, I wish there's other people that could see, that could just have a, a front row seat to what I'm seeing. That's the kind of power that a submissive wife has. Whether you realize, she don't realize what I'm telling you. If she's not watching live stream, that's the power that you have. Not in, not in just what she says. She wasn't talking to me. She was talking to God. That A woman has that kind of a power over man. The, the power of persuasion which leads me to my last point, and they go together. And then we're talking about the power of prime example. Go to Ephesians 5 and we're done. Ephesians 5, verse 22. We'll be here soon enough in our Wednesday night study. But we have to hit this while we're here. Ephesians 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves therefore to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives uh, as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now listen to this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This, this love of a husband to the wife and this reverence 
and submission of the wife to the husband. The Bible says this is a picture of Christ and the church. The, the picture of marriage, the, the visible illustration of a loving husband and submissive wife, both in submission to Christ, that is the greatest physical, visible illustration of, the, of Jesus Christ and His church to a lost and dying world. So the question is, what are they seeing? What are, what are they seeing? This is why, and we went over this on Wednesday night just a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about the, the qualifications of a pastor. He's got to be right in his marriage and with his children and his family to even have the right to preach and teach truth in the church because what I do speaks much louder than what I say. I couldn't, be, I couldn't play the hypocrite and come up here and tell you these things. We can't play the hypocrite and share it with a lost and dying world. That's why ministry starts at home. Evangelism starts at home and goes out from there. People can argue doctrine all day long, but they cannot argue the love, power, and commitment of a loving Christ-centered marriage. I've definitely got a list of preachers and pastors in my life who have had a huge impact on me, and I'm so thankful for that. But there's other lay Christians that have had just as much of an impact in certain areas. Um, I listened to a sermon this week at Vision Week, and I'll never forget the illustration. I believe it was Brother Dean Herring that preached this. And he talked about how he had been to the, the mouth of where the Mississippi River begins. And he said, when you go up there, you think that, man, there's just so much water flowing into this thing. I mean, the Mississippi River is like 11 miles wide at its widest point. It's like an ocean in some places. And you think, man, the source of the Mississippi just has to be amazing. But it's basically a creek that flows into it. It's nothing. It's just something you can get with a five-gallon bucket. There's nothing to it. And so he, uh, Brother Herring began to question, well, how is this possible? How by the time it gets to the ocean is it this massive and wide? It's because of all the other rivers and tributaries that flow into the Mississippi. 26 rivers, over 7,000 streams, and by the time it gets to the ocean, it's massive. And the illustration he used, he talked about the tributaries of people that flow into our life that make us what we are. And when I think about marriage, uh, I think about uh, Mike and Connie McCool. That was one of my best friend's parents. I met them as a teenager about the time I got saved. And Man, they had me over at their house all the time. They called me their second son. And man, I went on vacations with them and went hunting with Mike. And I mean, just precious, precious memories. But one thing that stuck out to me more than anything is how much Mike and Connie loved each other. I mean, it was evident. I mean, we used to joke about everywhere we go, they're on honeymoon, you know. We could go to the ATM, they're on the honeymoon. We'd go do laundry, they're on the honeymoon. I mean, it was just... And it was because of the love, the mutual love they had for Christ... And it just overflowed for each other. And I said to myself, if the Lord ever gives me a wife, that's what I want to be like and that's what I want to emulate. And I believe it's had a big impact on the grace that God has given me in this situation. I rem I'll never get over that. You asked me about the tributaries in my life. Mike wasn't a preacher. They, they weren't missionaries or anything of the sort like that. They were just faithful Christian people. And they... I could live to be 100 years old, and you ask me about my tributaries, they're going to be right at the top of the list. And it was all because of what I saw in their marriage. And so the question becomes, if we're giving an example, and we are, is it good or bad? 
Uh, an example can be positive or negative, and that goes both ways. And, and so listen, ladies, if you don't respect your husband, especially to the point of having any desire to submit to him, don't expect your children to respect their father. If you disrespect your husband, guarantee they're going to disrespect their father. You can write it down. And, and that takes different forms too. I mean, kids are going to be kids, and I know that every parent in here has experienced this. If a child wants something, they'll go first to one parent, right? And if they get a no, guess where they're going right after that? Going back to the other parent trying to turn them against each other. My kids done figured out they ain't going to work. Because you know what Leah says? Well, what would your dad say? And if they come to me and it's not something that I'm dogmatic about, I say, what did your mom say? And so, but, but listen, if, if I said no about something, or if I said something, and they went to Leah and she said, oh, do what you want to. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't have a clue. What does that put in the mind of that child? And we wonder why there's so many messed up homes. That's certainly a big reason. If mom and dad aren't on the same page, why is that? Why is that? Listen, there's a circle in this life. There's a circle that only husband and wife belong in. Pastor don't belong in that circle. Boss don't go in that circle. Even children don't go in that circle. And if there's another party that comes into that circle, one of the other parties have to go out. There's only room for those two. And I've seen this happen over and over and over again. But why, ladies, why? If that's the case, where is that disrespect coming from? Men, you should ask the same question. Why would your wife go against you on something like that? And as I go through this world, I'm constantly asking myself, what message, what sermon am I communicating with my life? We all ask about our life, but also about our marriages. And sometimes that question can get specific, like, what message uh, am I conveying through my role as a husband? What sermon am I preaching as my example of being a husband? Ladies, what message are you communicating through your role as a wife? The Lord has given you so much power, so much more than you probably ever dreamed or realized that you have, but it comes through submission to Christ and your husband. There's power in God's protection. There's power in your persuasion in Christ through you. There's power in your prime example. That's where your power is through the life lived. And so, again, I know this can be a touchy subject, but it really shouldn't have to be. Man, we're going to get on you next week. And it is your responsibility to love your wife. It's, it's half of the responsibility to earn the submission of your wife, but ladies, it's your responsibility to give it. And, and I, I'll close with this and I'm done. I think through the years I've, I've seen certain reasons why ladies have so much trouble with this. Well, look, we, we know it's... a 